welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. Hello from England, All People's Church. How are you doing? Hi, church family. We love and miss you guys. And look who's with us. Hi, All Peoples. It's going to be a great day. (laughs) We've just finished our board meeting here in Sheffield, England and having a nice day off. And I want you to welcome today Jeff Bianchi as he's coming on staff as our new family's pastor. He and his wife, Sarah, are dear friends for years, just coming from Boston. You're going to be so blessed to hear from him today. We'll be in Amsterdam now for a week of meetings. Please pray for us as we're out. We can't wait to be with you soon. Bye. We love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Good morning, All People's Church. You know, I said this for 17 years in Boston, but uh, I'll say it today to myself. Welcome home. I'm glad to be here. I'll explain more later. But uh, Stephen, that's the kind of band I can get into, man. Two left-handed guitarists. They made me learn right-handed on a guitar. I didn't know it was an option, but I love seeing that. Man, you guys just stepped over the line, Stephen. You just got me excited about Jesus. I hope today that in your heart you're willing and desiring to grow in a love for God. I want to uh, pray a moment, and then um, I want to introduce myself to you a bit. Join with me in prayer. Lord, we love you. You have been so good to us, Lord. We thank you. You grade us on the curve, Lord. You're so merciful toward us. You, you do not treat us as our sins deserve. We thank you, God, that the plans that you have for us are to prosper us and not to harm us. You have plans for a future. You have plans for a hope. And I ask you today, Lord, that you would come and you would have your way in our hearts. We open our minds. We open our hearts. We open our beings to you. I confess my need for you. We confess our need for you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit of the living God, invigorate us for the things of God. Lord, uh, uh, minister to every broken heart today. Uh, Deliver every one of the bondages that we struggle with today. Lord, deliver us from that. And empower us to be life-giving witnesses for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a delight to be here today. Uh, I want to introduce myself to you a little bit and kind of tell you what I'm doing here on staff. My name is Jeff Bianchi, and uh, I, uh, <laughs> I just tell you a little bit about me. I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. Pretty excited about that? Not too much excitement out there. <clears throat> they talk funny in Dallas. But uh, anyway, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, went through school and graduated Uh, from high school, praise God. Can you just give me a shout out on that? After I graduated, I would never have been able to do this with the requirements we have now, but uh, after we graduated from, uh, I graduated from uh, Lake Highlands High School in Dallas, I went to uh, College Station, Texas, and I am, thank you, got a few of them out there. I'm a Texas A&M Aggie, and uh, I try not to wear it too much. I know we can be a little bit obnoxious a lot bit obnoxious, but uh, anyway, uh, 
as after I went to college, uh, I headed for uh, down, um, I headed on from Dallas to College Station in 1985. Can you believe that? Crazy. Hey, you look a little too wowed by that fact, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> Uh, and um, ended up in college. Uh, God radically got a hold of my life. I'd grown up in a Christian home. But then uh, as I had moved to college, my parents moved to Waco, Texas, and they got involved in a church by the name of Highland Baptist Church, which is the mother church that Antioch Ministries International, the overseeing national, um, international movement that all people's church is a part of. Uh, my parents were there just at the beginning when things were starting. And my mom began recruiting me, uh, for this little training school called Master's Commission, which is very similar to what, uh, we have here, which I encourage you to do called the School of Transformation. <clears throat> do we call that SOT? That doesn't, doesn't ring. Uh, <clears throat> let's think of another one. Huh? Never. Never sought. School of Transformation, SOT. Uh, but anyway, and I ended up doing the training school. Uh, God got radically a hold of my life, and uh, I, uh, I moved to Waco in December of 1989, got involved in the training school, helped with the leadership, and uh, then was involved leading the discipleship training school in Waco uh, in, uh, up until... Um, for the next five years into uh, mid-1990s and a little bit later than that. Uh, in 1998, I moved uh, with the first... Oh, I want to tell you a bit first before. When I was involved with that um, training school, we had the privilege of going everywhere. I know some of you did it this uh, summer in uh, Europe. We had the privilege of going being wild banshees for Jesus, telling every living, breathing thing. I bet we told inanimate objects sometimes about Jesus. Not that they can be saved. Um, don't worry about that. But we told everybody about Jesus. We went to Siberia. We went to Mongolia. We began sharing about Jesus, praying for the sick, and seeing people come to Jesus, baptizing people, seeing uh, new groups started, and planting churches. We didn't know enough to know we couldn't do it. We just knew he could do it. And so I got to be a part of that traveling. I was uh, dear friends, became dear friends with Kelly and Jennifer Braswell during that time. So many funny stories that I don't have time to talk about and some very, very um, powerful stories. Kelly and Jennifer's oldest son was born on my watch, so to speak, as I was leading the training school in Irkutsk, uh, Russia. And, uh, but so many precious memories. And uh, I was involved and excited about being a part of the beginning of this movement. We, we just were going for God. In 1998, God opened up an opportunity for me uh, to go along with the team leader, Sean Richmond at that time, and his wife, Laura, to go to Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, this was actually, we'd been all over the nations, or we'd been to a lot of different places, but we'd never been stateside on a church plant. We didn't know you could plant churches stateside at first. We were we did, but uh, it didn't really happen. But this was the first church planted um, out of Antioch Ministries International. And we went, same kind of attitude, loving Jesus, sharing about him, and giving our hearts to, to all that God had. And uh, God birthed the movement there that is still growing to this day. I was involved with uh, Community of Faith Christian Fellowship and what became CFI, the, the mini movement there in uh, the Northeast. Uh, I was involved for 17 years, over 17 years there. Uh, I was the training school director 
uh, for many years, as well as associate pastor. And for the last five and a half years, I had the privilege, I tell you, privilege, of being the lead pastor at Community of Faith Christian Fellowship uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. Last year, God began directing a transition for my life and for my family, my wife and I, Sarah and me. We, uh, we felt that God had a significant shift coming in our lives, but we didn't know exactly what it was. God made clear to us that we were to turn over the leadership on very good terms <laughs> with, uh, to the church there in Boston and to seek God and take a sabbatical. And as we prayed... We had our choice. Now, this is interesting. Listen to this. Our choice was between, at that time, uh, well, I won't say the name of it, San Diego and uh, a place uh, in the middle of the Bible Belt and a hot place and a uh, small town. <clears throat> it wasn't Waco. Uh, and uh, we had a choice, and the Lord spoke San Diego. <laughs> Actually, he did. I, I waited on the Lord. I felt like the Lord said to us, you have given your life for me on the East Coast. I want to refresh you on the West. And so we came, and we came to be a part of you guys. You didn't see us all the time because we were hiding out a lot on our sabbatical. Not from you. Uh, we were just uh, enjoying God. But we were here for four months, for those of you who know, from January to mid of April. And, um, and the red carpet was laid out for us in the spirit. We were so grateful. From the Garzas, who had been involved with a community of faith uh, at one time, to the Braswells, the, the Herbers, um, uh, the, the entire group, the Laughlins, everybody was so kind, so generous to us. And, uh, and then I began dialoguing with Robert uh, about what God might have, and very impressed with Robert, Kendall, and the entire leadership and team here. And uh, we began dialoguing, and for many of you, maybe some of you don't know, but a month ago, I accepted the position at All People's Church as family's pastor and church planning school director. And I'm thrilled. <laughs> And um, I'm ready, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get rocked. I'm ready to get real. <laughs> I'm ready to give it away. Sorry. Pardon me, I'm getting excited about Jesus. <laughs> Love you guys. It's an honor and privilege. Look forward to the years we have here. My family's going to move here in August. August 5th, I'm moving here. Maybe my whole family uh, will all be here sometime by school. So <clears throat> I want to introduce you to my family real quickly before I get into the sermon. Uh, this is actually, it's an old picture, six or eight months old. It really makes a difference when you've got little kids. But this is our house in Boston, and this is my family. And I wanted to introduce you to my lovely wife, Sarah. Anybody know my wife, Sarah? Oh, man, I like her. I was practically, I don't know any of you out there, I was a confirmed bachelor by the time that I'd met Sarah. I was 35 years old. I was a, I was a bachelor, wasn't I? It was sad uh, for me. Uh, no, but I was 35 years old, and Sarah came on a mission trip with her training school, and I'd never met her, but I'd known who she was, to Boston. And man, I was just blown away. She was, you know, it didn't really matter, but she was beautiful. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, she was godly, she was a lot younger, and I didn't think I had a chance with her, really. I wish that I could tell you today that I said to her something like, hey, babe, why don't we rearrange the alphabet and put you and I together? But, horrible. She wouldn't be very happy to know I told that one today, either. <clears throat> She's a lot really cooler than I am, but, uh, <clears throat> but I didn't. 
But we began to date, and uh, God took the desire to be single right out of me. I mean, it just went, <laughs> We got married, uh, and I'll tell you one little funny about this. Uh, uh, I, when you fall later in life, you fall hard. Man, I fell hard for Sarah. I was goo-goo-ga-ga. I was out of it, man. And so I was in a friend's best, a bet, um, one of my good friends, Craig Crenshaw, I was in his wedding, and it was six weeks. He was my, actually my roommate in Boston. It was six weeks before my wedding with Sarah. So you ever seen people engaged, that look in their eye, you know, that forgetting everything else in life but each other? Anyway, I was in the midst and the throes of puppy love. And so we were sitting there. I happened to be the best man at the wedding, though. And so we had a nice, the, the wedding went off without a hitch, and we had a nice uh, uh, big Texas-style uh, reception at the Texas State Fair. There was this big uh, open-air area. Everything was going great, and I was... You know, looking at Sarah, nothing else in my mind, just, you know, love you, baby. Anyway, somebody comes running up to me and they go, Jeff, Bianchi, man, you got to come. You got to give the best man speech. And I'm like, oh, no. You know, what am I doing? So I just, I stumble up to the mic. I grab a, a champagne glass uh, and, and I give the worst toast of all history. Craig has forgiven me for this. But I say, good life. Lots of kids, many blessings. Now let's cut the cake. And Christina, the, the wife, looks over at me with, with, uh, with uh, knives. You know, she's looking at me. She goes, we already cut the cake. <laughs> so anyway, I was wildly in love. And I'm more in love with Sarah today after 13 years. I'm more true and more deep. And I'm looking forward to a, a real, real journey with my wife. She is awesome. I want to introduce you to my children. Nice kids. I want to tell you a little bit about them. <clears throat> this is Jude. Jude Knight Bianchi. He's seven years old. And Jude, uh, he loves, uh, man, he loves Legos. He loves uh, uh, reading anything about dinosaurs, about space. And he loves reading his Gotta Have God devotional in the morning, which excites me. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's going to be taller than me. I'm going to be looking up to him. Uh, but he is just awesome. My second child, J Jake, right over here with the, the nice, fun smile, uh, is uh, five, almost six years old. And Jake, he loves sports, and he loves people. Man, you know, if he was running this year, he might could win for office. He's a great guy. He loves people. He has been known at times to say to a young lady in her 20s, a single, not really knowing this, that, uh, my, your eyes look beautiful in that dress you're wearing right now. <clears throat> my son has a way. He is going to be a real heart healer. Not allowed to be a heartbreaker in my home, but he will be a heart healer with that stuff. He's going to make the women around him feel great and not slimed at all. Blessed and drawn close to Jesus. How about that? Any of you guys want to sign up to be heart healers? All right, go for it. Live, man, live. Oh, live. What do I say about her? She's my girl. She's got my heart. And I take Liv, she's almost three, and I take Liv through a little affirmation today. And uh, why don't you say it? You can say handsome instead of uh, uh, beautiful if you're a guy. And then daddy, you can say as uh, daddy, uh, your, your father in heaven or your father. Why don't you say it after me? This is what Liv and I say every morning. <clears throat> oh, I got to remember what we say. Okay. I am godly. I am, godly. I am pretty. 
I am smart. I am fun. I am two. You're not two. I don't know how old you are. She's almost three. And I am daddy's girl. Oh, she is that. My wallet is trembling. Lux means light in Latin. Wow, what can I say about this little guy? He's my 15-month-old. He never stops smiling. The guy doesn't stop smiling. He is, mm, want to eat him up. He's awesome. He's the joy of our lives, and he's another heart healer for sure. And he just took his first two steps yesterday. Come on. As far as for a Bianchi, he's really cruising, you know. 17 months is like 18. We're like, walk? What does that mean? Anyway, that's a little bit about me, a little bit about my family, and um, I, I wanted to, to turn today um, into uh, what I'm going to talk about. I wanted to honor, um, uh, honor you guys, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a part of your family. Well, what does spiritual maturity look like? This is, the name of this series is called Spiritual Maturity, Safe Spiritual Maturity. You know, when I began to speak to Pastor Robert about this sermon, and the opportunity came up for me to share, I began to think about what spiritual maturity really is, and what came to me was an illustration that I've shared before that I feel is one of the better ways to explain what it means in, uh, uh, to progress in spiritual maturity. One day, during a prayer meeting a number of years ago, I was, uh, we were praying, and a young lady had a picture as she was praying just came to her mind and she had this picture in her mind and it was of her in a beautiful wedding dress with just adorned and beautiful and she was standing behind the doors of the uh, church that she was about to go into and she began to uh, she was looking at the beautiful adornment uh, and the um, all of the different intricacies of the dress and she was really uh, pretty much obsessed with the way her dress looked and thinking about how she appeared the door swung open, and she began to walk down the aisle. And as she began walking down the aisle, she was still uh, really basically consumed with her appearance, what her dress was like, enjoying it, and thinking about it, and, and uh, full of different emotion, uh, fear, and, and different things, and expectation. Then, halfway down the aisle, she catches sight of the groom. And her eyes lock in on the groom. He's handsome. He's, his love for her is complete. He's welcoming in his eyes. And everything begins just melting away. Every thought she had about her own, the way she looked, the way she appeared, what she was wearing, how all that was going, it all melted away. And she walked up the rest of the way to marry her husband, fully uh, consumed with the one that she was marrying. And to me, that is a good picture of our progression of spiritual maturity in the Christian life. You see, when we receive Jesus, none of us receive Jesus uh, uh, out of uh, totally um, pure motives. We, we received Jesus because we knew we had a need, and it was a, a pure heart to, to receive him, but we didn't receive him as finished products. We received him giving us something, eternal life. In, in exchange for uh, death and destruction. But as we begin walking, 
At the beginning of our life as, as Christians, oftentimes, we are really consumed with ourselves, my ministry, my life, how I'm doing, what God's will is for me. Now, those are not bad things, but these things consume us. It really is, is about us. But as we begin to grow, there comes a point in our life, hopefully as God is leading each and every one of us to, where it ceases just being about me and what's in it for me, how am I feeling today about God, and it becomes about him. It becomes about the one who bled and who died for us. It becomes about him receiving glory in the nations. It becomes about him having every tribe, every tongue, and every people bowing before him and us getting to be a part of the great journey in God. That is a definition of spiritual maturity. And do you know this? I want to tell you this as we talk because we're going to talk about um, quite a few things today that are, that are very, um, very serious. But we, I want to let you know this, spiritual maturity, you becoming spiritually mature is your greatest path to ultimate fulfillment. Absolutely, it is. Being mature does not mean that all joy has been extinguished from your life. It means that your joy is properly placed. Trials, as I was talking and thinking and, and desired to, to share today, uh, the subject of trials came up to me, that trials are a path and a, a huge pathway that God uses to get this process of spiritual maturity initiated and continuing on in our lives. <clears throat> trials are an extremely important part of spiritual maturity, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that today. There's many types of trials, I want to talk about that today, uh, that come in life. And I want to say this as well. Being a Christian does not exempt us from trials. It does not necessarily give us less trials. The abundant life is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of Jesus. You see? Now, the thing about it is that trials are given to us. They're going to come to us whether we're believers or whether we're not. Um, and some trials do come because we are believers, but there are trials that come to every person that lives on the face of the earth. The question is, will I waste those trials, or will they be used as an instrument to, to change me into the glory of God and to distribute his glory? Let's talk about a few of these trials. Relational trials. Anybody out there ever had a relational trial in your life? <laughs> Anybody ever felt betrayed? I felt that sense. Not that someone was intentionally trying to do it, but feeling betrayed. How about divorce? Someone that you know, yourself personally, maybe your spouse. We've had a couple of our dear friends, their spouses just up and left them. What a heartbreak. That is a trial of trials. Abandonment. Maybe you're in this room and you were abandoned at some time in your life. Abuse. These are some of the relational trials that come into our lives. How about vocational trials? Anybody had a vocational trial out there? Getting fired has a serious uh, repercussion in our spirits of rejection, regardless of what the reason was. Unemployment, career change, all of these things. These are some different trials that we encounter. How about health trials? Health trials. Personal sickness. Sickness of a family member or a friend. Depression, disability, these are trials, real and living things that have the capability of either driving us into God's presence or pushing us away. 
Financial trials. Anybody dealt with that? I land in California. It's a financial trial. I'm looking at the price of gas. What is going on? Gas was a buck seventy-two in Texas when I was there last. Anyway, jealousy's a trial too. <laughs> Overwhelming debt. Where I lived in Boston, it was not completely uncommon to hear someone that had three hundred thousand dollars in school debt. What a weight. How about season of life trials? Retirement, child raising, <laughs> for those of you with kids, <laughs> they are a joy and they are a pill. I can tell you, they're a joy pill. <laughs> How about singleness? I encountered that for a period of time in my life, into my mid-30s. It wasn't being single that bothered me. It was, am I going to be single for the rest of my life? The not knowing, who am I going to be with or am I ever? Marital discord. Sometimes singleness is a trial. Many times marriage can be a trial. As the, I believe, Russian, one of the Russian uh, writers said sarcastically, and I don't want to speak this over you, but he said, if you really want to be lonely, get married. His point there was that there are moments in in, in marriage where we can feel so isolated. Now, that is not a truth, and uh, marriage is not easier, but it is better. But there's midlife crisis. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm getting there. Are you in midlife crisis, Kelly? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm somewhere midlife, and I've been through some crises. So. But how about, um, yeah, how about the crisis of transition with a parent? I just was uh, put my father into a nursing home. That was a trial. That is still an ongoing trial for my life. So if you think about these things, I haven't named everything, but when you look at these relational, health, financial, season of life trials, and other things that come up, these are the, the, the core of what I'm talking about today, that these trials in our lives... I want to say this, your response to trials, say my response to trials, determines my level of spiritual maturity. In my own life, I've been through some other trials. One example, in 1997, after seven years of full-time ministry, I was leading a church planting school, a church planting team, I'm sorry, in Germany. Long story short, I fell into a headlong, into a clinical depression. I ended up back in the States, and I was hospitalized for two weeks in a psychiatric unit. I slept almost 24 hours a day, not knowing why what had happened had happened. I have much to say about that at another time, but I've been through other trials as well, but I'm here to say that God has been faithful. God has been faithful to see me through. God will be faithful to see you through. Again, I want to say it. Your response to trials determines your level of spiritual maturity. It is important that you mature for God's glory and for your good. And God is in, you know God is intended for each and every one of you in this room to succeed. He's not put you, and he will never put you through a test. He's planning on you failing. He's putting these trials, these tests, are toward you and for your good. We need to move right along here. <clears throat> I want to bring you in to the story of some of my dear friends of my family, Jeremy and Michelle. 
And I want us to be inspired by their response to trials as a path to greater spiritual maturity. My wife, Sarah, is from Alaska. Uh, Wow, what a beautiful state. She grew up there, was born and raised in Anchorage. She lived in Valdez, which is a beautiful place. But her senior year, she went to live uh, at, at her parent, with her parents' blessing. She went to live in a fly-in village in the Lake Clark National Preserve called Port Allsworth. Man, what a beautiful place. I see maybe a knowing look there. Uh, she lived there, and she lived for a year with her spiritual father and mother, Jackie and Dave. And they had three children. Uh, Their three children were Michelle, Laura, and Lyle. And she lived there, and she would go to school. And you know, Alaska, in the wintertime, she would go, um, she would uh, cross-country ski every every afternoon back from uh, school. Uh, It was kind of crazy. But anyway, she developed a relationship. She became like family. And Michelle, one of the sisters, or one of the children in this family, was a few years older than Sarah and got married to a man by the name of Jeremy. And they felt um, that they should live, they wanted, because they lead bear hunts and all, they do, they're kind of wild outdoors people, uh, like those Alaska shows you see. But they felt that they wanted to stay near family, and they, they um, had a home, a little cabin, uh, uh, about a half mile away from, from their parents. And uh, so, so they got married. And um, they ended up having six children within the course of like nine years. Anyway, one day in 2005, Jeremy was flying their Piper Cub back from Anchorage to Port Allsworth. And on the way, due to a series of inclement weather and uh, unforeseen circumstances that Jeremy was cleared of in, in the report that was done later, they crashed into icy Lake Charles right as they were landing back in Port Allsworth. The plane, that one of the wings broke off on the plane and the plane began to sink. And Jeremy, immediately a survivalist, got his uh, buck knife out and cut his uh, seatbelt off so he could rescue his girls. He knew exactly where they were, and so he could rescue them. And as he cut his seatbelt off, the plane slipped off the ice. He popped to the surface, and his three daughters sank 900 feet to the bottom of Lake Clark. He got up, got out. He's completely dazed. His wife, he realized, had climbed out, had climbed out and was on the ice and covered with jet fuel. They walk about a mile across um, the uh, ice, and they end up off the lake, in a cabin, and they break into this cabin, and uh, they uh, a lot of things happen, and they um, they ended up starting a fire. But you know, it broke into their lives and into their existence. It all began to settle in. They'd lost their three daughters. Jeremy was the pilot. This was the trial of a lifetime. Their children, their sons, flew back with their grandparents later and were safe. But at one time later, when they came back from a trip, um, a few couple of weeks after that, one of their sons says, does this mean we're not going to have girls in our family anymore? The devastation. Unbelievable. It's the trial of a dozen lifetimes. How would Jeremy and Michelle respond to this devastating series of events.
We're going to look at their responses through the, the bit of the remainder of time that we have here today. We're going to look at their honoring responses to God. We're not going to gloss over it as if it was easy. But we are going to see their responses and be inspired to live lives worthy of Jesus. But I want to say this again. And Jeremy and Michelle, if they were standing here today because I'm dear friends with them, would say to you, please respond rightly to God in trial. Now, the good news is you don't have to respond perfectly. God grades on the curve. But please set your heart to respond rightly because your response to trials determines your level of spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity glorifies God and is good for mankind. Anything less than true spiritual maturity is not glorifying ultimately to God. There's a grace as we grow. And God's always giving us second, third, fourth, fifth chances. But it's very important. Let's turn to James now, quickly. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? What? Trials? Mature? Not lacking anything. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is not one suffering that God allows into our lives, that there is not a double portion of blessing on the other side. Does it all equal out? No. I mean, it's, it's, you can't look at it in some terminology of um, he gives, uh, you know, six girls back or, or this, that, and the other. But God is determined to bless us back as the trials that we endure. Your response to trials does what? It determines your level. It determines my level of spiritual maturity. I have not always responded rightly in trials. Praise Jesus for Jesus. Oh, he's merciful. D.L. Moody, the preacher in Chicago in the 18, or in the, uh, eight, ah, anyway, uh, a while back, <laughs> my mind, said this, God has been a million times better to me than I've been to him. Woo, come on. God's not good to you because you are good. He's good to you because he's good. Okay. Raining it back in. <laughs> we see in scriptures that trials are a test for every single believer. And we want to look today at how we can respond very quickly here. How we can respond to trials and thereby grow in spiritual maturity. How do we respond rightly to God in trial? Let's look here. You respond, you respond rightly to God in trials by refusing to let bitterness set in. Do you feel bitter? Do you feel anger? Absolutely. But the setting in of that is the key in our lives. We're going to turn now quickly to the life of Job. And we're going to look there. We turn to the biblical story of Job. Job was a man who sought God with all of his heart. Man, he sought God. He walked in obedience 
to God in, in uh, more than anyone of this day. However, no matter how much obedience he walked in, he could not avoid going through trial. God allowed Satan to attack Job. We, have, we must say God allowed it. We see the biblical evidence of it as well as Satan is presenting himself before God. Let me give you a little just illustration of what Job went through. You see Jeremy and Michelle, they went through a Job-level Job trial. God's not intending necessarily, I don't know what God's uh, thing is for you or me, but we can know he's enough. All his children Job lost, all his livestock, all his servants, all his possessions. That's all. That's a lot. He had maybe four servants around that God left around to report it to him. Then God allowed Satan to attack Job's flesh. And we pick up the story here in Job. Let's look real quickly. Job 2, 7 through 10 says this. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and he scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Integrity? I'm sorry, she didn't say it twice like I just did. <clears throat> are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Job said this, and this is not for you husbands, a scripture you should take. Uh, just in, in, in the wrong way. <clears throat> he said, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept from God good and not evil or trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job was in a very vulnerable position. Have you ever been in that vulnerable position in trial? He was very vulnerable after losing all he had, and he had the choice that we're all faced with in trials. Bitter or better. Say it. Bitter or better. Trials is a bitter or a better. There's not a butter. Butter in the middle. You can't stay in the middle. That's not in the middle if you think of all the vowels, but bitter and better. It's one choice. You don't get butter. You don't get, uh, you know, batter. You get bitter or better. Often when we're in the midst of a difficult time, that's when Satan is, is really looking to impugn to, to tear down God's integrity and destroy our lives. You see, Satan desires. Uh, um, Job made the right choice. He refused to curse God and let bitterness set in. Let's go to back to the story of Jeremy and Michelle. As soon as Jeremy and Michelle got to the cabin, Michelle cut their wet clothes off and, and, and wrapped them up because Jeremy was temporarily blinded on top of it um, due to hypothermia. And they're sitting around the fire. You, you can only imagine. I mean, I, I can't. I can't. You can't. I can't. And she's sitting around the fire with Jeremy, and she looks him, or she, she looks at him, and she speaks to him because he could hear. And she said, Jeremy, we are not going to let this come between us. You see, Jeremy was flying that plane. Jeremy was innocent. Do you think the devil wanted to cast him in that way? Michelle spoke like a very wise woman in this situation. 
Somewhere intuitively in Michelle's spirit, she knew that the voice of Satan would tempt her to curse God and die. To die spiritually, to begin to recede spiritually. How? I mean, you can hear it now. I can hear it in my own spirit. How could a loving God allow you to lose three girls? There's a real questions. But the reality in her heart was to close the door on bitterness right from the start. She refused to be bitter at God or her husband. Oh, I'm certain she had some talks with the Lord. I'm certain she expressed her anger. But she did not let it set in. The question for us when a seeming or a real injustice occurs is will we curse God and die spiritually or will we rise up and grow in our faith. Come on, I see a bunch of risers, uppers out there. Remember, your response to God in trials determines your level of spiritual maturity. You also... Another thing we can see is how and, and how to respond to God is you respond rightly to God in trials by pressing in to God. What a temptation. I know this. I failed this test before. Praise God he gives retakes. But what a temptation when we're going through a difficult time to want to take a break from God. I'm just disillusioned right now. I, I, just, I just need to take a break. It's a real temptation. However, God, as God might understand this, as I've heard said before, but Satan and his spiritual demonic forces see this as an opportunity to take things in someone's life from bad to worse. Satan is the liar, the stealer, and the killer. And these young ladies died not because God killed them. The result of Satan's work and man's allowing of a broken system. The earth was groaning. We don't understand why. But it was not, uh, it was Satan uh, that is behind jumping on things when they're bad and making them worse. We look at Job here. We look at the book of Job, we catch a glimpse of why Job ultimately made it through his trial and came out stronger and more mature. He pressed into God and didn't run from God. Job 19, 25 through 27 says this. I know that my Redeemer lives, this is Job speaking, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Notice, Job said, how my heart yearns within me. He was dead set, even in the midst of his trial, to pursue God. A few months following the death of these girls, I don't believe that I actually um, gave you their names. Samantha, Anne, Jesse Lynn, and Catherine. But a few, few months after their death, my wife and I went... Uh, with our in-laws and met that well, they were already living there, but we went to Port Allsworth to visit Jeremy and Michelle. And I was looking forward to seeing them, but I really was in some ways not looking forward. What in the world do I say to this family? What in the world do I do? I'm uncomfortable. 
although I loved them with all my heart. And we ended up, we arrived in Port Allsworth, and we stayed at Sarah's, um, as I said, her spiritual mother's house. And we took a walk of about a half mile over to Jeremy and Michelle's new cabin that Jeremy had built. This is like cabin on steroids, man. What a nice place. Jeremy had built it about a year earlier. As we went to their home that first day, Jeremy was showing me around the house. And we were talking. They're sweet, the sweetest people you'd ever meet, sweet spirits. But he was showing me around the house, this beautiful house, and and, uh, and then he said, hey, I want you to come back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Would you come back with me? And he asked my father-in-law as well. Would you come back 6 a.m.? I want to seek God together. I want to seek God together. I want to pray. I want to get his word for my situation in life. I was blown out. I was blown away. I got up the next morning. I was tired. I walked a half mile to his house. I wasn't sure what to expect. When I got to the house, I knocked on the door. And Jeremy invited me in, and I stood in awe of this man. I stood in awe of a man who had just lost his three, three of his most precious possessions. He still had three sons, but he lost his three daughters. We went into his God-seeking room, and Jeremy led us in the next hour or so as he worshiped God, as he sought God in his word, and as he pressed into God for all that he was worth. I was completely blown away by Jeremy. And his heart that said, my heart. That was the heart that Jeremy had. That was the heart that Job has. That's the heart that I hope that you will have. My heart yearns within me. Does someone reject me? Okay, that hurt. But my heart yearns within me. Did I lose a job? That hurt. But I, my heart yearns within me. Do I have no direction in my life? My heart, though, yearns within me. He is my direction. He is my healing. He is my joy. He is my contentment. He is my peace. He is my all in all. This is true of all of us, but I would say it about my life. I'm walking on ground the devil didn't want me to get to. We're doing a little teeth kicking today in the spirit realm of the enemy. And it's all about seeing those who are locked in darkness, unlocked and brought to the arms of Jesus. We're rounding the corner here. Job, uh, okay. I'll move forward with a couple more things here. You respond rightly to God in trials by pressing through difficulties. Uh-oh, not very popular in our society. Pressing through difficulties. You know, the fast food place took me three minutes. I'm angry. <laughs> Here's a quote by Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta, and it says this, spiritual maturity is measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. Who can say a big hallelujah for that one? <laughs> I've given God enough reasons to give up on me. He just won't do it. Praise his holy and blessed and mighty and glorious name. <laughs> okay. When difficult times come into our lives, one of the first things we look to do is to change our situation and look for a new set of circumstances. In our contemporary society, when difficulties come with job, relationships, we almost automatically look for a way out. We tend to be, with grace, a bunch of quitters who are always looking for something new. And uh, even with our society, with Twitter and other things, everything looks great all the time, and if it's not, something's wrong with my life. 
We don't have ability. We've been crippled in our ability to follow through on commitments. Job, let's put it this way. Job lived in a time he could not change his circumstances. He had no circumstances to change. But he exhibited an attitude of perseverance because he hoped in God. Let's go back to the story real quickly about Jeremy and Michelle as we look at the newspaper obituary about the girls. It says this, the girls loved camping at White Sands Beach, jumping off the dock at Tenalian Bible Camp, hiking to Tenalian Falls, picking blueberries with the family, having campfires at Dry Creek, and so on and so on. It continued to tell many of the things that they loved. Jeremy and Michelle felt called to stay in Port Allsworth. They felt called to press through. I'm not saying everyone feels called to do that, but they knew that God had told them to stand firm where they were until they moved forward into the next thing that he had for them following that death of their daughters. The thing it's important for you to realize is that the house that Jeremy built out the window is the crash site. Every single day they can see the place where their plane landed and sank. Tenalian Falls, I've been to it. It's beautiful. It's just a couple of miles from their house. Everything these girls loved, everything that they had was right smack dab there. But they felt God said, press through in this season. Be faithful to me, and, and I will move you forward in the right time. They were people. Jeremy and Michelle were those who responded by pressing through their difficulties. Jeremy and Michelle had to face these things every day, but without unrelenting faith in an unmoving and unchanging God, they'd never have been able to press through this trial. The last thing I want to say, your response to trials determines your level of spiritual maturity. I want to say this. You respond rightly to God in trials by pressing in to godly community. When difficult times come in our lives, we're so tempted to pull back from life-giving relationships especially when it comes from people that we know. I, I haven't mentioned here uh, Bill Dad and Zophar and, and the other guys that were counseling Job. These guys were nincompoops. They were his friends. They, they, they gave him horrible advice. You ever had nincompoops for friends? Well, maybe one of your friends thinks so. But when the relationships we're in are stressed, strained, or worse, we tend to leave those behind and start looking for a new start. But it's important that we learn to press into life-giving relationships. I'm not saying death-breathing relationships. But it's important we press into those relationships that God's given us when times are tough, or it will stunt our growth spiritually. Job, I, I don't have time to read the whole passage, but as you look at Job chapter 42, 7 through 11, God says, Job, basically, God says this. It's paraphrased. Your friend's are jerks and they haven't really helped you <laughs> and I'm not happy with them I'm happy with you you pressed through this trial and you came to the other well no you pre you're pressing through this trial Job was still in the middle of this trial right he was not healed yet and he said uh, anyway it says here after Job prayed for his friends the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before what it's important for us to notice in this passage is that Job prayed for his friends before the trial was over. Before the trial was over. These nincompoops who are giving him the worst advice possible and really basically rubbing salt in the wound. He forgave them. 
In the worldly mindset of dealing with these difficulties is to avoid or distance ourselves when it gets rough, but godly press through in godly community and come out stronger and better. Jeremy and Michelle have been prime examples, and I want to ask the prayer team to come forward as I talk on this, as the, as the prayer team comes forward. They've been prime examples with those around them, even when the going's been tough. They are so committed, Jeremy and Michelle, listen to this, they're so committed to godly relationship, they had three more boys. They have six boys now. Isn't that amazing? They're so committed to, to godly relationships. They're so committed to the body of Christ. They're also committed to going wherever the Lord would lead them. Who knows? We might see them at the SOT, but all I know is I hear from them. We want to live our lives on mission with Jesus to spread the community of God throughout the nations of the earth. We're on journey with Jesus. You see, because they responded rightly to God in trials, they are more mature than almost many people that I know. But they are ready to go. And they're not pressing back. They're not living a life of survival. They're living a life of thrival. They're thriving into the things of Jesus. Praise his name. The obituary said this of the girls. All of the girls had received Jesus as their Savior, seemed to have been given an extra measure of faith. They prayed almost daily for salvation of their loved ones. They prayed with childlike faith and were never surprised at God's answers to their prayers. Their faith was inspirational to their whole family. Jeremy and Michelle, you can almost see the girls up in heaven saying, way to go, Mom and Dad. Way to go, Mom and Dad. We're, we're living with Jesus. We're dancing with Jesus. Thank you. You know, one of the things I felt is that God was going to multiply their anointing as a family and take the anointing that was on those girls and multiply it onto them as they responded right. Who knows what kind of anointing in the Spirit you can pick up of something good that someone else dropped because you respond rightly to God and God says, they were not willing, but you are. Let me give it to you and go get it in God. Praise His name. I want to I ask this one question and then I want to ask us to come forward for prayer. Here's the question I want to ask you who know Jesus or those of you who are in a faith journey. Is there an attitude or is there a response in my life toward trials that has hindered me from spiritual growth? Is there an attitude? Is there a way, a tendency in my life toward trials that hinders my spiritual growth? What if we became a people that demonstrated to the city of San Diego in the way we respond to trials that our God is great and our God is good and he's worthy? What if in the workplaces, schools and such, we demonstrated to the world around us that we will press into God and that we will press into healthy relationships and we will press through difficult seasons of life in a way that's unique and attractive to the world? I'm going to ask you to stand now and I want to ask you to come forward uh, if these are true in your heart. If you're going through a serious trial right now, it could be any level of trial. It's not going to compare to, to Jeremy and Michelle's 99.9% of the time. Don't downplay your trial because Michelle and Jeremy's was great. Your trial is your trial, and it's a real one. But if you're going through a trial right now, I want you to raise your hand. A serious trial right now, raise your hand. I want you to begin coming forward, and we're going to pray. We're not going to waste that trial. We're going to see God meet you in that trial. And we're going to see God move. You can begin streaming forward as I'm talking. You're not going to offend me. If you or someone you love is dealing with sickness in their body and needs healing, either emotionally from depression or physically from some sickness, I want you to raise your hand. And I want you to come forward right now. I want you to pray with different ones down here. And if you want to commit your life to Jesus, you're saying, hey, 
Who is this Jesus that you're talking about today? I want you to come forward today, and I want you to get prayer today and and have someone explain to you what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Let's all stand. And I just want us to say this one more thing. If you mean it in your heart, I will respond to you, God. Say, I will respond to you, God. I want to grow up in you. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray a prayer, and let's worship the Lord and pray.